BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Water Cooler, everybody. I'm David Brody. Glad you're with us. It's Wednesday, February 24th, 2021. We have got a lot of news to get to today. Hey, look, the news hopper officially hopping. We begin today with a big postponement near Tandon. President Biden is picked to become budget director. Uh-oh, supposed to get a vote today in congressional committees. Guess what? Ain't happening. No meeting because here's the deal. Democrats don't have the votes. They don't have the votes to get her through. Her vitriolic social media posts have made her toxic. Now Democrats are searching around for one Republican to vote yes to get her over the finish line. Good luck with that. I'm whispering. Good luck. Also today, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy blasts Speaker Nancy Pelosi about her soon-to-be-formed January 6th commission. Wait until you hear the details of what Nancy Pelosi wants to do. So much for unity and bipartisanship. Holy gavolt. And Mitt Romney talking about Donald Trump. Guess what? Donald Trump will actually like what Romney has to say. We're going to explain. And a big story breaking today. New detailed allegations of pervasive sexual harassment leveled against... Uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, like he didn't have enough problems on the COVID nursing home front. Now comes a bombshell story of alleged seedy conduct by the New York state governor. We have got a lot to cover. But first, those remarks by House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Democrats, by the way, sure do talk a good game when it comes to unity. But now Nancy Pelosi wants to put seven Democrats on this January 6th commission. And let me think. Just four Republicans. Yeah, that sounds fair. Here's McCarthy today. Speaker Pelosi is doing it all wrong. First, it's not bipartisan, 7-4. Secondly, they don't allow subpoena power for the minority and the majority to work together. I mean, I would take those two leaders who are, I hold in high esteem, the Democrat and Republican, who carried out a 9-11 commission, who did it in a manner that people trusted coming out, I mean, when I look at the first actions the speaker has taken with their own general to look at um, what has went on, and you look at his tweets and others, it seems most of this is politically driven, and it seems like she's setting up a system to fail. And that's not from my words. Those are from those who head, headed up the 9-11 commission. Well, he's absolutely right. And Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell also spoke on the Senate floor today about this wholly unfair January 6th commission by Pelosi. Here's Magic Mitch. The Speaker of the House proposes even more investigation through a new commission. She cites the precedent of the 9-11 Commission, but her draft bill fails to track with that precedent in key ways. The 9-11 Commission was intentionally built to be bipartisan. The 50-50 bipartisan split of the commissioners was a key feature. It both helped the effectiveness of the investigation itself and helped give the whole country confidence in its work and its recommendations. This time, however, Speaker Pelosi started by proposing a commission that would be partisan by design. Seven appointments for Democrats, 
just for for Republicans. Well, if you're looking up, by the way, unity, the word unity in the dictionary, you're not going to find Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden's picture. I'm just saying that, all right? Uh, I want to bring in Jordan Seculo now, the executive director of the American Center for Law and Justice. Jordan, uh, look, what do you make of this January 6th commission? I mean, this seems like a political setup to me. I think it's Kevin McCarthy and it's Mitch McConnell. And they're realizing what President Trump faced his entire four years, which was these witch hunts. And so they set set you up to where you are going, your, your position, you will look like the bad guy, you will look like the problem, and if you have a commission where there's seven Democrat appointees and only four Republican appointees, and the four Republican appointees don't get to call witnesses, sounds like another like impeachment kind of scenario again, they don't get to call any witnesses, uh, but, but we do, the majority does, the Democrat majority has the subpoena power, uh, that's not a 9-11 commission, that's another witch hunt to try and place the political blame. So I think they're right to push back aggressively, not to oppose a commission, but to say, if we're going to have one, it should be modeled exactly on the 9-11 commission, make it equal, make the powers equal, and then the American people will actually accept the findings, whether it's findings they wanted to hear or not, but at least they'll accept the findings because they know that it won't be one party in charge. I think, again, it just shows you again, it's like the second impeachment. Nancy Pelosi is just trying to get another political hit mm -hmm. out of this commission, not get the truth, not get the facts out. Yeah, and surely not looking for unity. And speaking of unity, uh, Neera Tandon, uh, first of all, don't even get me started. Why in the world would they, she, uh, Biden, even nominate her to begin with, with everything vitriolic that she said, not just about Republicans, but he, even some Democrats. So her hearing is... Uh, uh, what postponed? That's code for we're desperate. Lisa Murkowski, please help us. We need a Republican. Yeah, I mean, that's the only Republican really left that hasn't said uh, absolutely no on this nomination. They lost uh, Joe Manchin, not just because, as you said, David, because of her attacks on Republicans, though some of them on uh, like Susan Collins, on the most Moderate of moderate Republicans, she was still. They weren't good enough. You know, they they were still horrendous people to her. Uh, and but her attacks on Democrats, like the left, like Bernie Sanders. So she was attacking the far left. She was attacking the mainstream, uh, the, the most middle of the road Republicans, if you will, uh, like Susan Collins. That's not going to get you anywhere in the U.S. Senate when you when you attack senators directly like that. She wasn't attacking policies. You know, a lot of us, we have very strong Twitter accounts uh, where, but again, to attack individuals yeah. and to, to call them names is what she was doing to Susan Collins and Bernie Sanders. Uh, is not should not get you far in the U.S. Senate because we should be better than that when it comes to appointments that require Senate approval. And now, Jordan, we watch uh, the Javier Becerra hearings, uh, the HHS secretary. I mean, talk. look, not a good day for him when you're suing nuns and that comes up, uh, number one. And, and then not to mention we haven't even gotten to partial birth abortion and, and all of the radical stuff there. Uh, but, but here's the deal. I mean, we're going to look at Manchin, uh, maybe Bob Casey. I mean, they've got to find a Democrat that's going to vote no. I, I don't necessarily see that happening. What's your take on Becerra? I think it's, it's it's it goes to the it's the mansion and, and maybe Casey but probably mansion again. Yeah. Uh, and it's because Becerra's one has no qualifications. I think you could you could you could not even get into the abortion debate and say a former state AG and congressman who was a trial lawyer before this may not be the best person to lead the HHS in the middle of a pandemic. So there's one what reason. Number two, hyperpartisan because he was a member of Congress, but especially on issues of life which come under the HHS, including the fact that he wants to get rid of the conscience clause so that if you are a nurse, 
you you have no conscience protections on performing uh, elective abortions and being part of those elective abortions, not emergency abortion procedures. Uh, he's got asked by Mitt Romney directly, why do you uh, support partial birth abortion? I mean, and and he, he had no answer for it. No answer. He said, I hope we can kind of come to some common ground. So he's not gonna, it looks like he's not getting support from the Mitt Romney types. Uh, so the question goes then, is he going to get the support from uh, Joe Manchin? And then again, are we going to look at a similar scenario where he goes through his committee hearing and then ultimately the vote gets delayed? We have not had the committee vote scheduled yet. Usually we would know if that was going to happen this Friday. Uh, we should have found out that last night. We still haven't gotten any uh any date yet for just the committee vote, not the actual vote in the Senate. Yeah, and Jordan, we have the Equality Act coming uh, up uh, later this week on, on, I think, Friday, possibly. The House may vote on that. And I want to play Kevin McCarthy today, uh, also from that press conference, where he talked about just the out-of-control uh, uh, liberal agenda coming from the Biden administration. I thought it was supposed to be about unity. This is what he talks about Becerra and the Equality Act and all that. Have a look. If you look at uh, Biden's appointments to um, cabinet members, suing nuns and others. This is, really seems like an onslaught against uh, freedom of religion um, for girls' sports as well and others. And now the Democrats have even taken it further. Can you imagine being an elected member of Congress, putting your name on a letter to a cable industry, telling them what they should have on their shows? Or sending it to Amazon that created a company based upon selling books, telling them not to sell books. In America, and that you're a member of Congress, interesting to me of how far they have gone and how much further they want to go. He's referring, of course, to that hearing coming up later, uh, or actually today, uh, about how conservative yeah. uh, television outlets and others uh, are, are in kind of in the uh, crosshairs with Democrats. They're under the microscope. Yeah, and what makes me nervous, David, is it's it's the, the letters that these two congressmen, uh, Democrat congressmen from California, who are senior members of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, which oversees the Communications Act, the letters didn't go to Fox News or Newsmax or OAN. The letters went to the providers. And what we have seen, unfortunately, is some of these providers happily deplatform people. If they feel like they can get out of a contract and Congress is going to protect them, or the FCC might come to their protection, um, and they don't like the viewpoint because this cancel culture, which is in these big companies, I mean, it, it, it's a concern, a very real concern to me that it's not just the Congress people that are putting this forward, but also that it's going to be they're they're targeting perfectly yeah. the CEOs of companies that may love to take off some of these networks if they're under pressure. I'm not saying that they yeah. would do this if they weren't under pressure because they like the money that they make from it. But if they're under pressure, this is the kind of culture we live in right now where these decisions, I think, unfortunately, yeah. we've got to, we've got to speak up. We're actually at the ACLJ uh, working on kind of working with the FCC right now working with some of these companies as well mm -hmm. who have to work bipartisan. So if they try to pull a move like this, could be in serious trouble once the once yeah. the uh, Congress changes. I mean, it's it's a 50-50 U.S. Senate. Not the best time to start deplatforming Fox News and Newsmax. Yeah, and you said before, you said happily deplatforming. I 100% agree that happily word is key. I've got 20 seconds or so. Mike Pompeo, big deal, ACLJ, coming on board. Tell yep. us about it. So uh, Mike Pompeo, a former Secretary of State, former CIA director, has joined uh, the ACLJ team as a senior counsel for global affairs. And we use that counsel term uh, specifically because he is an attorney. He uh, attended mm -hmm. Harvard Law School uh, as, the, as well as being the editor of Harvard Law Review. So we've been expanding our foreign affairs and our intelligence uh, kind of departments with the ACLJ. So we 
uh, Rick Rennell is a senior advisor to the ACLJ now. Yeah. And so is, uh, we've got now Mike Pompeo. They'll be doing a public role, so on our broadcast, yep. but they also are working with us, you know, through our daily work at the American Center for Law and Justice and our international work. So right. huge addition to our team. Only Thanks, Jordan. Of our so we take them. All right, Jordan, appreciate up against a hard break. We'll see you next time. Liz Harrington, next. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Do you notice in our open, we have Joe Biden in the open. He's president of the United States, but we have Donald Trump like this, kind of hovering over him and really the entire conversation, because Donald Trump's not going away. Sorry, liberals. And look, let's be honest, you don't want him to go away either. You know that. You, it's like an insatiable appetite for you for lots of different reasons. Uh, and by the way, speaking of the Donald Trump insatiable appetite, uh, Kevin McCarthy, the House Minority Leader, was asked a question today about whether or not uh, he, he's okay with Donald Trump speaking at CPAC. He answers, and so does Liz Cheney, who, of course, voted to impeach Donald Trump. This was, <laughs> this was an interesting moment. Have a look. Yes, he should. Congresswoman Cheney? Uh, that's up to CPAC. I've, I've been clear in my views about uh, President Trump and, and the extent to which following the extent to which following January 6th, uh, I don't I don't believe that he should be playing a role in the future of the party or the country. On that high note? <laughs> <laughs> On that high note, awkward. Hello. Goodbye. Got to run. All right. Uh, Liz Harrington is here, <laughs> former GOP national spokesperson. Uh, Liz, always, always great to see you. Great to see you, David. Liz, they can't get rid of Trump. He's not going anywhere. I mean, you know, and the media, you know, they're, they're always like, oh, it was always about Trump. And then they, that's all they want to talk about. They still want to talk about Trump. They'll never get over it. They were really uh, obsessed during the four years and all they ever talked about. They were so deranged. And that moment you just played, though, with Kevin McCarthy, I mean, what does he expect to happen when you have your top three in your leadership, someone who really, frankly, can't stand the voters that you're supposed to represent? Yeah. So what do you expect? Uh, you, you think they're going to ask this question? I mean, you can't have someone in leadership who doesn't support the base and the um, vast majority of the people who you're supposed to represent. So, of course, President Trump should speak at CPAC. Liz Cheney won't be speaking at CPAC. Nobody wants to hear from Liz Cheney in the Republican <laughs> Party, the rank and file. Yeah, no, that that's uh, that's accurate, by the way. No need to fact check that, sta <laughs> that statement, Liz. Uh, all right, so we had David Bossing on the show yesterday. I want to play this and get your reaction on the other side. He talked about, I, I asked him specifically about uh, whether or not there should be a separate kind of Trump patriot party. Uh, here's what he said. There's been talk about this, you know, Patriot Party, and who knows, maybe he'll break off and have a separate. What, what's your what's your sense of of the machinations of all of that? If that's even a realistic thing at this point, I hope it's not. Uh, I'll be honest with you. I think that it's it would be here. Here's what would happen: we would split the Republican Party right. into two. Right. He would he would have an enormous party from day one. And he goes on, but he basically said he didn't think it was a good idea. Liz, uh, what, what's your view on on something like that? 
we just need to take control of the party that we already have, which is the vast majority. Like I said, it's over 90 percent support President Trump consistently. That's where the voters are. That's where the common sense, average, hardworking American is. We just have to take ownership of that. And so exactly what President Trump said in his statement to Mitch McConnell, we're going to challenge and primary the candidates who don't actually represent Republicans, a novel idea. I mean, the amazing thing of why President Trump is so successful and why we won back so many House seats in 27 out of 27 toss-up House races is because he actually represented what the voters wanted him to do. He wanted, We wanted him to get out of these endless wars, which mm -hmm. the bureaucracy, the uniparty has opposed and just wants to stay there forever. We wanted to get better trade deals. We wanted to uh, hold China to account. He, he was pro-life. He rebuilt the military. All these core values that Republicans have had for so long, That's we finally got representation. Mm -hmm. And so what the answer for the Republican Party in Washington is why don't you start acting at, like the Republicans out in the heartland? Why don't you start actually representing what you're supposed yep. to be doing in Washington, what we sent you there to do? That's the solution. Again, we have the majority. Uh, it's a matter of getting rid of the people who are all show, just puppet strings, and they don't actually want to represent the people that they're there to represent. Well, I think you're 100% right, uh, Liz, and I think that's the big, it's the big disconnect. And, and it's something Mitch McConnell and others just really have never been able to, well, maybe they understand it intellectually, but but they're not, they're not, they, they, what do they think the Lamar Alexanders of the world are the, are the future of the part? Anyhow, I don't want to get into all that. All right. Uh, <laughs> let, let me ask you about Mitt Romney. Uh, speaking of Lamar Alexander, just kidding. Uh, Mitt Romney, we like to call him Magic Mitt, uh, who had some interesting comments about uh, Donald Trump. Uh, for, he was talking, I guess, to the New York Times. Romney predicts Trump would win the 2024 GOP nomination if he ran for president. Hey, is this something you actually agree with Mitt Romney about, Liz? <laughs> <laughs> hey, a broken clock, right? Twice a yeah. day. This is actually a very accurate statement. I mean, you can't really defy reality, right? I mean, who does he think? Is he gonna, is it gonna be Nikki Haley? I mean, that's another example mm -hmm. of like the Liz Cheney's of the world, of the establishment forcing people down the rest of the country's throats when we don't want them. And it's clear that President Trump has the support. He's the only one really, it's just a handful of people in Washington that actually fought for our values, actually stood up for the country. So of course he has support. And of course, you know my thoughts on all of this. He won this election. Right. Why would we, uh, the voters, turn away from the one man who's really had success, brought our party together, and actually implemented real change for the better for our country? Uh, President Trump would absolutely win, and it is the rare occasion uh, that I think the normal average Republican agrees with something yeah. that Mitt Romney has to say. I've got about 30 seconds for you, Liz, but I want to get your take on what you think Mitt, Rom or Mitt Romney, listen to me, uh, Donald Trump uh, should say at CPAC this weekend. What, what do you hope he what do you hope he hits exactly uh, on Sunday? I think the average uh, Republican, the average American just wants to hear from him and they just want him to be himself and hear his thoughts about everything that's happened over the past you know, few weeks because he's been completely memory hold off social media, off YouTube, off Twitter and Facebook. We really need to hear from him because he is the leader 
of the America First movement. So I'm really excited to hear what he has to say and what his plans are, because I don't think he should go anywhere um, if we're going to have a chance to getting this country back, fixing our election rules, election laws, and, and really getting the Chinese yeah. Communist Party out of the highest ranks of the Biden regime. Well, Liz Harrington, great to see you and speaking as bold as ever, which is why we like you. Liz, appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Uh, when we come back, Donna Rice Hughes, the CEO and president of Enough is Enough, fighting child pornography. Will the Biden administration be up to the task? Did I just roll my eyes? Back in a moment. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. And welcome back to the water cooler. That's the name of the show. I, gotta, I always got to remember. Someone's gotta, Madison, can we put that in prompter next time, That what the name of the show is? The water cooler, because I, I tend to forget. Uh, hey, uh, look, I, I've got to tell you, Merrick Garland, let's be honest, he's going to be the next attorney general of the United States. I mean, he's gonna, it's going to be smooth sailing for him. Uh, and I wanted to talk a little bit with our next guest, Donna Rice Hughes. Uh, she is the CEO and president of Enough is Enough, who battles uh, child pornography and tries to protect uh, families on the internet. Uh, it, it's a tough job and an important one. And Donna, uh, I appreciate you being here. Thank, thanks for being here. Thanks, David. It's great to be on your new show. Well, I, I got to tell you, I, I thought of you because you know, with Merrick Garland coming in at the uh, attorney general's office, and we've had discussions before about uh, Bill Barr and what the Trump administration needed to do as it relates to prosecuting uh, child pornography. Uh, what's your sense of where this is going? I'm assuming you're, you're concerned, clearly, about what Merrick Garland is going to do, if anything at all, on this topic, on this issue. Well, we've actually, the protection of uh, children from all types of sexual exploitation involves the prosecution of a number of different laws. Um, the child pornography laws, as you mentioned, sex trafficking laws, uh, also the pornography laws that we call obscenity. And so the last administrations have done very well on prosecuting child pornography, which has exploded, uh, especially during COVID and the sexual exploitation has exploded. Um, the pornography laws haven't been enforced since John Ashcroft. So what I'm hoping with this new AG that at the very least, they will continue to aggressively enforce the child pornography and the sex trafficking laws, we hope. Um, here's the thing. These are nonpartisan issues. Right. And they, these are pandemic issues that are affecting every single child that's online. So we really don't know. I can say, David, however, that um, as, as you, you know, we wrote the Children's Internet Safety Presidential Pledge that Donald Trump signed when he was a candidate and Hillary Clinton supported bipartisan. We have sent that to candidate Joe Biden and now to President Joe Biden. We have not heard back yet. So we're hoping that, that this will get in front of him and that he'll actually sign this, which will certainly 
be an, uh, a stronger incentive, if you will, for his AG to make the protection of children in, in the digital world a top priority. You know, Donna, the, the Biden administration talks so much about unity, 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 unity. And, and here we are on an issue that should unify everyone. I mean, why in the world wouldn't this be a top priority for any administration, let alone the Biden administration? Yeah, and I, and I agree with you, and it should be a top priority. I think uh, with any new administration, it's getting it on their radar screen and getting it on the radar screen of the, of the new AG. And so, so this is what we're hoping to do at Enough is Enough is to say, look, this is a unifying issue. This affects everyone, uh, whether they're Democrats, Republicans, kids, uh, leftists, far right, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. Kids are a future and we have to protect their innocence. And it's just been atrocious what has happened during COVID with kids are, are spending more time online during lockdown. And the incidences, the child exploitation, whether it be via sex trafficking, sexual predators online, pornographers, cyberbullying, you name it, has skyrocketed. And yeah. we've got to get on this on this agenda of this new AG. Well, and you and I have had this discussion before on, on my podcast, but I'd like you to tell our viewers here about some of these startling statistics and some of the information that you have about how widespread this is, how much of a problem. I don't think people understand the depths of what specifically is going on, how kids are affected here. Well, well, yeah, well, I, I've just mentioned a few of these yeah. points. Well, first of all, let me just say with respect to pornography, kids under 10 years old make up about 22% of the online consumers of pornography for, for people under 18 years old. So, so wow. this is kids younger and younger are accessing pornography that's not protected speech. We call it obscenity in the United States. Now, those laws have not been enforced since John Ashcroft. I'm always told it's because the Department of Justice doesn't have enough money. So what I did is I went to Congress last year and I said, would you allocate an increased amount of funding for the Department of Justice? Just as you, um, interesting, the Department of Justice is the uh, child exploitation and obscenity section. That's what pornography is online, obscenity, and yet they haven't enforced the law. So now they've got money to do it this year in 2021 appropriations. Um, I think the, the, the main thing for parents to understand is that right now, uh, until government really hits this head on, and we're, we're, uh, you know, we're tackling this issue with full velocity that we, that we do with um, 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 tra uh, traffickers and with um, terrorists and the opioid addiction, that parents have got to be the first line of defense. Because if the yeah. parents are not aware that the bad guys are, are using this technology to get to their innocent children, they're just sitting ducks for, for problems and harm and potentially uh, sexual abuse and even death. Yeah. So that, that's how Donna, before I let you go, uh, as we wrap up here, there is some news today about Andrew Cuomo, the governor of New York, who is now under this uh, bombshell of an allegation from a former staffer. There it is there. It says, my story of working with Governor Cuomo, talking about sexual harassment uh, in the workplace. I won't go into all the details, but the bottom line is it, it's stunning and has to do with strip poker and all this other stuff. I mean, what, what's the reaction to something? I mean, Governor Cuomo has been in the news quite a bit on COVID, but this is, this is something uh, you, you would think is, is going to be a real problem for him. Forget politically. I mean, it's just a problem when you're talking about sexual harassment in the workplace. 
Well, it is a problem, and and I, I commend this lady for coming forward. I hope that everybody else on his team and on his staff that witnessed this or or experienced this themselves would come forward. This is the kind of behavior that we cannot allow. Period. And it, and I think it's particularly difficult for these women when their boss, that is the harasser, is a politic is been voted into office by the public. So. Yeah. Um, so I hope that that whoever it is, if it's the AG who, who needs to investigate this, that they would do so. And I just encourage every woman that is in a situation like this to report it right away. Don't wait. Right. Don't wait. Find other women in your office that have seen this, witnessed it, or experienced it. Come together collectively if you can, because that gives you a lot more strength and power in numbers. Donna Rice Hughes, great to see you again. The CEO of President of, of Enough is Enough, and the uh, website is what is enough.org. Is that right? Yes, it is. All right, Donna, great to see you again. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. All right, Thank you. she's doing important work. I tell you what, uh, love to have her on the show. Glad we're we're uh, connecting with her, and love to get her back. All right, when we come back, Rick Green, America's Constitution coach. Guess what? Newsflash: the Constitution is under attack. Really? Yeah. Just read the newspaper. Don't, don't look at the liberal newspaper, but read them. Back in a moment. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Look, we do the show in D.C. It's been snowing a lot. It's been cold. I just want to go to Florida. All right, I'm just letting you know right now. I want to go to Florida for the sun, A, yes. Actually, I'm going to put that B. B for the sun. Here's, here's A. Here's why I'm going to go with A. A, because, hey, there's no big state mask mandate down there. I got some freedom down there. Ron DeSantis is doing his thing down there as governor. All right. Uh, I want to talk about that a little bit with uh, Rick Green, founder of the PatriotAcademy.com, America's Constitution coach, back with us. Sir, always good to see you, Rick. Good to see you as well. Last week with Texas Frozen, I could actually have said to you, David, I could have done my best Bill Clinton and said, I feel your pain because it was <laughs> cold here too, man. It was, But I got to tell you, it's 75 today. I, I, I don't mean to rub it in. 75 today in Texas. So. I'll be I'll be there in the morning then, uh, Rick, just an FYI. All right. <laughs> uh, look, I mentioned Florida because, I mean, at some point, it, whatever state you're in, you've got to figure out uh, how you're going to take not just your country back, but how about your, your state, your local yeah. municipality? How about your school board? I mean, tell us a little bit about what you're seeing around the country about how people need to fight back and, uh, against some of these. Uh, it's more than overreach. It's big brother craziness. Yeah, man, we've watched over the last year virtually every part of the Bill of Rights, if not the entire Constitution, be decimated from our freedom of religion to assembly to mere breathing at this point. Uh, government has decided what we can and cannot do, forcing people to stay home. I mean, all the things we've seen and that we've talked about. And so people are, are looking for a way to push back. Unfortunately, you've had even Republican governors like my governor in Texas has been terrible on these issues and acted like a dictator for a year. I mean, not not a few weeks like what happened back in 1918. And even in 1918 with Spanish flu, nobody did statewide shutdowns. Nobody had these long stay at home orders. None of that happened. And that that virus was 25 times more deadly than what we're dealing with with COVID. So it truly has become an attack on the Constitution without what we would call in constitutional law a compelling interest. In other words, something that was so bad, 
it was it was worth government getting involved. And then when government did get involved, you, you always have to have this test where is it narrowly tailored and is it least restrictive? None of that has applied here. And so counties are looking for a way to push back. States are looking for a way to push back. Even yeah. city councils are looking for a way to say, hey, not here. You're going to be able to breathe here without a diaper on mm -hmm. your face. You're going to be able to keep your business open. So they've got to be willing to stand. I mean, these are these are you know serious constitutional violations, and it's going to take local government and at some point some state governments willing to push back. You know, Rick, I, you mentioned the Texas governor real quick, Greg Abbott. I've known Greg Abbott for a while. You know him. I mean, look, look, stand-up guy. I mean, good guy, a constitutional conservative. I thought, or I, I don't. What, what happened exactly down there with with Greg? You know, Abbott? I consider him a friend. I mean, we worked together in politics yeah. for years, but but unfortunately, and in fact, I was bragging on him in in March when this all first started and Newsom was going off the cliff and then all these other governors were going off the cliff and Abbott was doing it right in Texas and not intervening in an, in an over overreach kind of way and then March 31st he just suddenly went off the cliff with everybody else and mm. hasn't looked back and and once he did the shutdowns once mm. he did the statewide mandates like most politicians he wasn't willing to admit he got it wrong even when all the data showed that it wasn't necessary that it wasn't working none of the mandates have worked to stop mm. covid Unlike Ron DeSantis. Now, in Florida, Ron, you know, he, he got it wrong in the beginning as well. Right. But he admitted he got it wrong, and he said, we're not going to do this anymore. Uh, he's been the one guy in the whole country that's done that. Christy Nome never got it wrong. She never did any of the shutdowns. That's right. So that's the two governors I point to and say, hey, they know how to handle leadership. Yeah, DeSantis did a 180 for sure. Hey, uh, Rick, Convention of the States, you, you've been yeah. preaching and talking and researching and, and been very active on this for a long time. People don't understand Convention of the States. I'm talking about you line 10 people up on the, state, uh, on the street and you say Convention of the States. They don't really know. Uh, but this is a way to change the Constitution. And I want you to explain uh, the momentum that this has really had throughout the years. And it, it needs more, but uh, it, it's moving. It's moving. Yeah, and the one thing I would correct on you there, David, is not to change the Constitution, but restore the restore. Constitution. Yes, that's it's, right. We don't live under the Constitution in America right now. Mm -hmm. We live under the Constitution. The words on the paper don't mean anything. It's all up to five out of nine justices on the Supreme Court. Five unelected, unaccountable lawyers in Washington, D.C. have the final say, are making law, are ruling our country. That's not the way the founders designed it. What a convention of states does, it was it was put in the Constitution at the Constitutional Convention in 1787 on September 15th by a guy named George Mason. He's actually the father of the Bill of Rights. And Mason stood up and he told these guys, he said, listen, if the federal government ever gets outside of its boundaries, and just a basic civics lesson here, federal government, state government, local government, they all have their own jurisdictions, literally boundaries around what they can do. And as the Declaration says, they can only do what we say they can do, consent of the governed. And so he said, listen, we've, draw, we've drawn these boundaries. We've given the federal government only 15 enumerated powers. But what happens if they decide they want to be bigger and they want to be bolder and they want to get involved in our lives in other ways? They want to take power from the states. If they get outside those boundaries without us giving them permission, we need a way to put them back in those boundaries. Mm -hmm. For the last 90 years or so, the federal government has grown way outside its boundaries, doing things the Constitution never ever gave them permission to do and that we the people never gave them permission to do. And so his solution was allow the states to come together in a convention and and offer not not actually amend the constitution but propose amendments to the constitution. Mm -hmm. And then those amendments would go back to all 50 state legislatures and 38 of them would have to ratify. So it's a big hurdle, same basic hurdle as if the congress proposes an amendment and it goes to the states to be ratified. Mm -hmm. But all 27 amendments so far have been done through Congress. 
This would be the first time we actually do it without the federal government. We do it with just the states. And that's the only way you're going to get the power back from the feds and give it to our local state legislatures. And, and as much as people might think this is pie in the sky will never happen, there's actually been legislatures across the country that have that have agreed to a convention of the states, right? Constitutionally, in Article 5, we need 34 states to ask for this convention, to call for the convention. We've got 15 so far in just the last few years. I believe we'll get another 10 or 12, maybe 15 more this year. And then in two, within the next two years, get to that magic number of 34. Then we'll have the convention. It'll be the greatest constitutional lesson the nation has ever had because the news will be talking about it every day. Yep. What are they talking about in the Constitution? And it'll be the way to restore the Constitution, put the court back in its proper place, put the feds back in their place. And then, David, instead of having to have literally a national divorce or even a civil war, I mean, those that's how bad we're split right now in the country. Instead of doing that, let each state call the shots in its states. In, in its individual state. The, the founders' view was that the federal government should only do the things that are dealing with external, like treaties and other nations and mm -hmm. national defense. Each state should be able to call the shots within its borders and deal with the things that are internal. And that way, hey, let yeah. California be crazy. Let Massachusetts be crazy. <laughs> right. Let Texas be normal, right? I mean, let each state decide. A convention of states is how we get there. Rick Green, always great to see you. Always with a pocket constitution. I know that pocket constitution is somewhere around you within a five hey, foot radius. Wait a oh, Look, I knew there it. it is. Right there. There pocket it is. <laughs> Thanks, Rick. Appreciate it. And the declaration in it. <laughs> Rick Green, uh, one of our favorites here on the show. And that's on the record, by the way. Back in a moment with the last sip. Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com code PROGRAM. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. Time for the last sip. This is a pretty serious last sip. It's about Governor Andrew Cuomo. He is in more hot water. I mean, it's ever since COVID and the nursing home thing exploded, he's been in hot water uh, every single day. But now uh, take a look uh, at this. This is uh, from Medium.com. A former staffer of Andrew Cuomo's has come out with a story of sexual harassment in the workplace against Governor Cuomo. It says... My story of working with Governor Cuomo, we're going to take some excerpts here. This is, what she, this is how the, uh, the article starts out. Let's play strip poker. I should have been shocked by the governor's crude comment, but I wasn't. She goes on to say, I tried to excuse his behavior. I told myself it's only words, but that changed after a one-on-one -on -one briefing with the governor to update him on economic and infrastructure projects. We were in his New York City office on 3rd Avenue as I got up to leave and walked toward an open door. He stepped in in front of me and kissed me on the lips. I was in shock, but I kept walking. That is from Lindsay, uh, just double checking, Lindsay Bolin, uh, who had, by the way, had come out with uh, an allegation that was somewhat generic in nature uh, a few months ago, back in December of 2020, uh, but now she's out with far more details. And by the way, if you go to medium.com and read the story, there's actually texts there's actually emails uh, that document a lot of this. So this is serious stuff, serious stuff without the emails and the text, by the way. But uh, to have the emails and the text there as well, just kind of kind of jump off the page at you and go, you, you go, wow. Um, look, uh, the reason she wrote this, 
according to what she says in the article, is that uh, Cuomo's uh, conduct had been in question about how he treated staffers and how he ran his office, and she felt that this was important to come out and, and talk about this as well. So Cuomo has got problems on COVID. He's got problems, obviously, on the nursing home situation. Uh, he's got problems with uh, uh, some of his uh, temper and the way he talks to staff. And now the sexual assault, or excuse me, sexual harassment allegation against Governor Cuomo. Uh, the question now becomes, uh, where is this above the fold in the New York Times? Where is this in the Washington Post? Are we going to hear about this on CNN? Are they going to bury this story? We're not going to bury the story. It's right here. We're doing a segment on it. We'll do a lot more on it in the days and weeks to come. But why in the world is this not A1 news in the media right now? That's the question. Uh, they talk about the hashtag MeToo movement. Well, this seems to be close to exhibit A of what exactly they're talking about. And there's radio silence right now. We'll monitor. Back in a moment. Welcome back to the Water Cooler, everybody. It's the end of the show. You think Sophie Mann's going to be here. You are not You are not correct. Sorry, I don't want to insult you or anything. Uh, you would think Daniel Payne might be here. Maybe Nick Balassi from JustTheNews.com. No, guess what? It's just me. Uh, I, I made an executive decision that I said, you know what? I need a little bit more time in this show to talk uh, because do I really talk all that much in this show? Well, I kind of do. All right, anyhow, guess what it's time for? The poll of the day. The water cooler poll of the day. That guy. I don't know who that guy is. All right. Uh, here's the poll of the day. Uh, do you have a favorable or an unfavorable opinion of each of the following individuals? It's a quick choice here. Joe Biden, Donald Trump. Look at the favorable for Joe Biden. 55%. The unfavorable, 40%. Look at Donald Trump. 40% to 57%. Very, very interesting. And I'll be honest with you, it's, it's really not surprising. I mean, if you think about Joe Biden's 55%, uh, it, it makes sense. Look, he's in his first 100 days. He's supposed to be the unity candidate. I mean, people that don't, let's be honest, uh, the people that watch this show, uh, you, go, you all follow politics, right? You get it, okay? And by the way, if you want to comment and, and give us some comments about the, the show or Joe Biden or Donald Trump, uh, you just uh, give us an email at the water cooler at justthenews.com, the water cooler at justthenews.com. But you get it as to what's going on with Joe Biden and what he's done so far. But look, normal, regular Americans don't really pay attention to too much of this stuff. So 55% isn't necessarily shocking, especially, like I said, in the first 100 days of administration. Now, for, for Donald Trump, what's interesting, you saw the drop there, right? But the bottom line is 40%. Let's put that number up again. 40% uh, favorable rating. Let's be honest. If you track Donald Trump's favorable ratings over the last four years when he was president, it was anywhere from 40 to 50% roughly. So it's at the low end of that. But look, he's hovering right around what he normally does. And so it's not really that surprising. And let's also remember this comes after January 6th. This comes after the fact that Twitter's been taken away. This comes after the fact that he's been pretty much radio silent for the the most part in the last month or so, and the Democrats, in a show of unity, <laughs> beat them up day after day after day. So uh, that doesn't surprise me whatsoever. He'll speak at CPAC on Sunday. Let's see what the numbers look like after that, and of course, going into 2022 and possibly 2024. All right, that does it for the show today. Marjorie Dannenfelser, uh, who is uh, with one of the big pro-life groups in the country, she'll be here tomorrow talking about Javier Becerra and that nomination. Nathan Gonzalez and Pastor Brian Gibson all on the show tomorrow. We'll be following the Andrew Cuomo story as well. We'll see you. Have a great night.